0: Well, it's good to be with you in beautiful Houston, Texas, and charming Heights district of this wonderful city. Seems to me that November is the time that people should move to Houston. It's a delightful time. This is the month to move to Houston. This is not the month to move to the state of Washington because November begins the cold and rainy season, which is where I found Matt on Friday, in the capital of the great state. I found him chilled and cold and still adapting, but he's finding comfort in his grandchildren and his family and his hands are full and his heart is warm. And he asked me, how's it going? And I said, fine. And then he said, what are your impressions? And I told him, I spoke in glowing terms about you. And as I did, I looked him in the face, smile that came on his face and his eyes sparkled. And he reminded me of a very proud parent. He loves you still. He, he always will, I'm sure of that. Last night we had a small ceremony here at 1548, the stewards and the search committee. We came together with appropriate solemnity, the commitment, the vitality, the dedication of each person in that group to prayer, to the harmony of the church, and to honest conversation, what we call communal discernment, believe that stewards have wisely selected an excellent team to find the person whom God wishes to lead this congregation going forward. Last night it just so happened I came in an hour or so early and I had an opportunity to visit a friend in local hospital, Methodist Willowbrook. i gotten word on Thursday that he was in serious condition, that he didn't know what the problem was, but he was in the hospital for some testing. had been there a couple days, and when I arrived on Saturday, yesterday, he was still there, and I decided I'd go up and visit him. Joe and I were professors together at a little college up in the state of Michigan for a dozen years. He and his wife sarah have retired and they've moved here to houston i went to see him and i wanted to i wanted to to leave him with a word of hope i didn't know quite what i was going to say i didn't stay long but he said what's this i hear about you in the heights i said yes i said i'm there for this interim season he says well tell me about the church and i told him the impressions that I'd told Matt just the day before that I'm telling you today. And when I left, I, I believe that I'd left my friend Joe with some hope. <laughs> He's not been here. He says, I said, Y'all yeah, get yourself better. You and Sarah come visit us. I believe he will. Gee. How's this? Everything I just said was the most interesting part. <laughs> well, enough of the introductions. Let's let's move forward. In different places and different congregations, Christians try different ways to create a hearing for God's word. In some places, the congregation will stand during the reading. Other congregations employ gifted storytellers who know just where to put the emphasis in the reading of scripture but this morning i would like to put the burden on your ears to listen carefully to sit still to absorb this especially pertinent courtroom scene to set up the reading from scripture I'll not say much to introduce the story, except to say that the setting is a courtroom, that God's people are the ones on trial. And as you listen, you'll hear several voices. You'll hear the voice of a bailiff. You'll hear the voice of God. You'll hear the voice of God's people. And if you listen very carefully, You may hear your own voice the text is Micah 6 1 through 8 listen to what the Lord is saying it begins arise plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice listen you mountains to the Lord's indictment you enduring foundations of the earth for the Lord has a case against his people a dispute with Israel My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, planned, how Balaam answered, and then what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord with what shall I come before the Lord bow myself before the God on high or shall I come with burnt offerings with yearling calves does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams in ten thousand rivers of oil Or shall I give my firstborn for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Since none of us are eager, to go to the courtroom, especially if we're the ones on trial. The best way for us to move into this world that's been created by this text is to watch somebody else. And in watching someone else, we may be able to overhear for ourselves. And so, this morning, I'm going to tell you the story of a man named Richard. Richard is white, he's 42 years old, he's married, he has two grade school-aged daughters. They own their own home in that part of the city, the suburb, I mean, that says starting at 1.2. They have two cars, brand new, both paid for. Richard has settled nicely into business. He's maneuvering for a promotion opportunity. He's taken on some travel this winter that's wearied him but afforded him his position enhancement. His latest travel installment sent him to New York last week to make presentations at a conference in the city. Monday morning, Richard drove to the airport and got his car parked at the park and fly and waited for the shuttle when it arrived. Richard found himself with two other men, one whom looked to be an airport employee. He was snugged up, unfortunately, next to one of them. He couldn't help but hold his Eddie satchel, Eddie Bauer satchel close to his chest, and he avoided making eye contact, but he noticed their clothing. First stop, they both got out. Richard moved, to preserve his comfortable space, but he couldn't help but notice out the back of the shuttle that men, when they were getting their luggage, were opening their billfolds and handing the driver money. Richard said, oh brother, I forgot again. I know what I'll do, I'll just grab my own bag at the stop and avoid paying the tip and I'll save myself a few dollars, which is what he did. The flight to New York went well. First two days of the conference, the same, but on Tuesday evening as he was heading back to the hotel, he once again found himself in a shuttle with two others. They were talking about the wonderful service they were getting at the hotel, and Richard struck up a conversation. He says, well, I'm not quite getting that service. What's wrong? They said, all said, well, something about the towels and something about the sheets. And the men said, have you left a tip? Richard said, a tip, no. The one man said, well, you leave a tip. That lady will put a chocolate mint on your pillow. At the conference, there was an abundance of fine cuisine. Richard had to discipline himself, as always, to avoid eating too much. The conference site was very nice, new parquet floors, chandeliers in the meeting rooms, portable comfy chairs, Starbucks in the morning, ice water in the afternoon, but outside the conference, It troubled Richard, he saw panhandlers. They were visible, homeless with their grocery carts and their black plastic bags. A Denny's across the street, what Richard calls greasy food for greasy people. Finally came Friday. The flight home, the shuttle, park and fly, luggage arrived safely, the car was unscratched. Richard called it a successful trip. The weekend home meant ketchup see solving problems and seizing opportunities. The problem, his wife informed him, was with the cleaning service. Molly Maids had done a poor job once again, the wife reported. What's with labor? Richard grumbled. Where's gumption? Where's pride in a job well done? But the question in his mind was this. Would they have to deal with the head woman in charge of the, of the team? Would he call the owner or would they just get a new service? But the opportunity made him smile. The real estate lady had called, his wife reported, and she's found a home within their price range in that neighborhood that says starting at 2.1. Sunday was church, sermon from this passage, Micah 6, 1 to 8, what it meant, what it means, exhortation to help the poor. Richard tried to listen, but his mind was wandering. He was busy solving problems and seizing opportunities, planning next week's getaway to their new condo in Pensacola. After church, shaking hands, the minister said, well, how was the trip? Richard said, oh, this travel's wearing me out. Happy to be done, looking forward to staying close to home, which is away from the problems associated with Houston. I tell you all of this as context. Context so that you might better hear what happened that night. Richard's sleep was restless and fitful. It was filled with uneasy dreams and the most troublesome was more of a nightmare. Richard found himself in his dream, standing handcuffed and ankle cuffed, wearing an orange jumpsuit, tennis shoes that did not have shoestrings. He was huddled with other villains wearing the same jail clothing. He found himself as he looked around in an ancient courtroom. There were gray stone walls and a wooden gate and double doors and a stone foundation. And he could hear the courtroom language. Richard heard, all rise, indictment. I object, case sustained, we find the defendant and in the courtroom, Richard sees the shuttle driver, he sees the conference wait staff, he sees the women who were cleaning his motel room, the four Molly maids that scrubbed his toilets at home. He recognizes some by face, others by their uniform, but he realizes that these people are looking at him and they're not wearing the jailhouse orange. They aren't handcuffed, they aren't ankle cuffed, they aren't on trial, he's on trial. Why is he on trial? What are the charges? And Richard finds himself now before God, And God is describing all of God's actions throughout history and all of God's righteous deeds. And God is going on and on. And Richard is listening. And now he's crying. He's crying because he can so clearly see God's motive, God's steadfast love. And then, like thunder rolling in the distance, a roar growing louder and louder, he hears the question, How do you plead? How do you plead? And that's when he awoke. Air conditioning was running just fine, but his body was wet with perspiration. It had been a nightmare. He got up, he walked down the staircase into his den, and he pulled a Bible off the shelf. He opened it up to Micah chapter 6, and he began to read. And he realizes, I was in God's courtroom. I was hearing these words. It was so real. Richard examines the passage. He remembers his dream and his eyes fall on one word. It's like it was highlighted in yellow. The word is remember. And his mind begins to connect the dots. The charges as he thumbs through Micah are all through his world too, deceptive weights. Rich men, leaders judging for a bribe, coveting fields, seizing them, coveting houses, taking them, evicted, evicting tenants, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. And Richard remembers those words from Deuteronomy. When you harvest your crops, whatever you produce, olives, grapes, always leave plenty behind for the hopeless, in society. Remember that you were once a slave in Egypt." And then Richard recalled the hands peeling out the tip at the airport and thought evidently they remembered. And then he recalled the conversation about the maid service on the way back to the hotel. Tipper, they said, and she'll leave you a little mint on your pillow. Evidently they remembered. And the charges Richard recalled from his dream. How does he answer the charges? And that's the end of the story about Richard. I'd like to tell you more. You'd like to know what happens next. Does Richard stay in this world where he sees with such clarity? What becomes of Richard? That voice in the rolling thunder, how do you plead? How does he plead? Well, I don't know the answers to any of those questions except for the last one. I know how Richard answers the charges against him. I know what he does because I know what we do when we're in situations like this, when we find ourselves in the world envisioned in scripture and are seared by the heat of it. Not wanting to be burned, we look to escape, and suddenly we find ourselves equipped with a little self-defense attorney. A self-defense attorney who steps in and points out the loopholes to get us off the hook. For example, our self-defense attorney takes us back to this passage. He says, did you see the arrogance of those people? Did you hear what they said? They said, what do you want? Sell all I possess and give to the church, that what you want, that make you happy? Self-defense attorney said, they have a stinky attitude. No wonder God was not mad at them. You have a soft heart. You're not half that bad. You're not guilty. Then our self-defense attorney says, look around here. You're not half as rich as some of these people. You don't live in a gated community. You're not driving a Lexus like Richard. Don't go there, someone says. Don't do that, our conscience says and a voice from somewhere breaks in. When you compare yourselves with yourselves, you lack understanding. How do you plead, the thundering voice asks. Our self-defense attorney says, you don't know any poor people. How can you abuse the poor if you don't know any poor? Look at your subdivision. There's no cars on blocks there. There's no poor there. Look at your town, nice neighborhood, nice restaurants. Upscale antique stores, no poor here. Look at the school where your children go. That's why we live here, bailiff says. God tells the bailiff, show them the poor. Take them to Richard's house. The cleaning team is on the way. They're between houses, eating hot dog rolls and Doritos. One woman is ill, but she's gritting her teeth, working through it because without sick leave and no health insurance, to lose today's pay is to be without groceries tomorrow. Oh, let's not stay at Richard's house, our self-defense attorney says. We don't like it here. Let's leave before the cleaning ladies arrive. Then take them outside the bubble, God tells the bailiff. Take them to Denny's and ask the employees there one question. Ask them this question, how'd you get here? So there we are at Denny's. We're sitting across the table from a cook and a waitress. Both of them seem to be middle-aged, and we say, how did you get here? Cook says, sickness. Waitress says, divorce. Cook says, when the company downsized, I got let go. I couldn't believe how how fast it happened. Waitress says, I had no other skills. Our self-defense attorney leans in and whispers. He says, when he said sickness, it was alcohol. When she said divorce, it was her adultery. The reason he was first to let, be let go when they downsized is because he was incompetent. reason she didn't have skills is that she was too lazy to learn them when she had the chance, Micah says. Don't say that. Our conscience remembers we live in a land where the poor suffer tremendous consequences for misfortune or sin from which... Those of us who have means are shielded. How do you plead, the thundering voice asks. Our self-defense attorney leans in and advises abuse. Say, the poor have abused the system. Say it, say, say welfare mom, say it, welfare mom. Yeah, I remember the time this couple came to church looking for food and money, walked away with bulging bags of groceries and cash and a half hour later I met up with him at the Safeway and their grocery cart was full of beer. Someone says, that's not the issue. Micah says, something's wrong when profit for a business is more important than people. God says, you're all benefactors. You're living in a land of milk and honey. Remember my righteous deeds in your lives and leave plenty for the hopeless and the poor. How do you plead? the thundering voice says, and now our lawyer, he's gone. No more excuses. Now we see, and now we stand broken like Richard when he saw God's motive, God's steadfast love. And our eyes, they well up with clarity, and we sense the weight of responsibility. How do you plead? and we say guilty. Guilty is charged. And when we say that, God comes to us and he kneels in front of us and he takes our faces in his hands so we'll look at him. And he says, you've been listening to such bad advice. You've been given such a poor script to read. You've allowed your minds to be poisoned. God says, Read from this script with the images and the language that create a people after my own heart and start with Micah 6.8. Plant those words in your mind. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Memorize it, then internalize it so that when you have eyes to see the poor and the systems that oppress the helpless, your first response will be from this script, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God loves us so much. God loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that you and I might do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. As long as we draw breath, And this is the good news. This is the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus was talking with us? When he gathered us around and he asked us that one question? He said, what would you do? He said, what would you do if something really bad happened to me? You know, I was without food, didn't have proper clothing. Maybe I was incarcerated. Remember? Remember what we said? We said, for you? Why, we'd drop everything immediately. We'd rush to help. We'd take you out to eat. We'd buy you new clothes. We'd certainly visit you in jail. Jesus said, when you see the poorest person, the lowest of all, you're looking at me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. God looks us in the eyes, and he said, you're living in milk and honey. Watch Jesus. Watch how he enters a room. Look at him, where does he go? Who does he strike up conversation? Where does he sit? You know, don't you? This is the good news. We find ourselves guilty before a God who loves us and empowers us to remember, to remember how we've been treated in kindness by God and the same God who will strengthen us to treat others as we ourselves have been treated. This is the story of Richard, of a man who found himself in God's courtroom, of a man who was beginning to see, of a man who took the first step on a long journey toward empathy and compassion and justice. And you've probably already figured it out that this is my story. Oh, I've exaggerated parts, I've changed details, but the self-defense attorney is pretty much in place. And I suspect that during the course of these last 20 minutes, you've been wondering if this might be your story as well. Now may God bless the hearing and the preaching and as we perform Micah 6, the word of God in our lives.